Every one of us in this room, we've got dreams, things with all our heart we'd really like to do. But I promise you the only way to get there is to make today count. Start and be faithful in the small things. Welcome back to There Is Always A Way podcast with Dr. Jay Strack. In 1993, today's guest was asked to travel to Turkey, the largest unevangelized country in the world, to serve as a missionary with his wife. Though hesitant because of the daunting and dangerous tasks that lay ahead, they believed this was God's plan for them. And what followed was a string of threats and attacks, but also successes in starting new churches in a place where many people had never met a Christian. As their work with refugees gained attention and suspicion, they acknowledged the threat but accepted the risk, determining to stay unless God told them to leave. And in 2016, they were arrested. Now he's written a book entitled God's Hostage. It's the incredible true story of his imprisonment, his brokenness, and his eventual freedom. Today, there's always a way with Pastor Andrew Brunson. Here's Dr. Strack. Hello, I'm Jay Strack, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the podcast called There's Always a Way. And we have two guests with us today from the other side of the world, and they have been to one of the deepest parts of what experience is all about. And I'm talking about a pit, and it was a pit of despair and a pit of persecution and a pit of separation and anguish. And you're going to hear one of the most remarkable stories you've ever heard. I read a lot of books. We have a lot of guests that have great books, insightful books. I've written 30 books. Let me tell you something. This is a book. And I'm God's hostage. And the story of the Brunson family, Pastor Brunson and his wife, Noreen, their three children, and what they went through when a ministry in Turkey that they had spent 23, maybe longer years, working, serving, uh, giving, planning churches, ministering, and to watch all of a sudden for him to be arrested and become a target on his back, almost like the the, uh, prime minister of Turkey at the time, now the president, almost had a bullseye on this one couple. And I'm telling you, the story is the one of the best written. You feel like you're in the cell with them. So I want all of you to know, I'm going to be telling you how to get the book, God's Hostage. And I like the fact they weren't Turkey's hostage and they weren't, uh, uh, you know, the secret police's hostage. Uh, they're pretty upfront. They felt like they were God's hostage and the Lord was in that situation with them. So I welcome uh, people that have become friends, and, and most of all, a brother and sister. Uh, Pastor, thanks. Andrew, thanks for being with us. Noreen, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Jay. Good to be with you. Well, man, you look pretty good. All right. You look like, man, somehow you got through it. So we're, I'm anxious to hear the story, and I want our listeners to. Uh, first of all, uh, the podcast is called There's Always a Way. And I always love to ask the remarkable guests from different backgrounds, different educations, uh, different experiences, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the phrase, there's always a way? What does that mean to you? So I've decided that what it underlines to me is in the end, 
God always wins. Hmm. Well, bingo. There, I mean, depending on the context you say it in, I would have different answers. But to no. me, the foundational thing is God always wins in the end, however things look now and how difficult the circumstances. And even if I'm defeated temporarily in the end, God will win. And I love that. Noreen, do you feel? Uh, I guess I would say that, yeah, God always has a way for us in every situation, uh, whether it's specific strategy for us to follow, something for us to pray. Uh, and maybe there's nothing that we can obviously do, but be still and know that he's God. Hmm. And that's still putting ourselves, positioning ourselves deliberately in front of him. Maybe that is the only thing uh, that, that we can do. That is the only way maybe that he has for us. Surely. Well, we know, and uh, I was reading because I was so moved by the account. And by the way, this is uh, so well written. And Andrew, you are so honest and transparent. You know, there's a lot of people would have written the story about, you know, every day I was full of confidence, every, you know, every day I was preaching, you know, you know, I mean, there was, I'm, I know so many, that's what have been their take, but you share about what you experienced, you and your wife both, and the depths and the loneliness and the uh, fear and the, in, in a sense of failure and maybe even being forgotten. And you cover things that uh, I felt like I was, the, like I said, I was there with you. And I'm, I'm so grateful you decided to just be very, very honest about all the emotions and, and, the, and the constant one minute thinking it's getting better, only to have it uh, taken away. And one minute something being promised, and then the next day something being taken away. It's, uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating story. And so uh, I thought of David in the cave, Psalm 142.4. He was in that cave, dark, dusty, nasty, hiding, you know, for his life. And he said, I felt as though no one, no one cared for my soul. And here he was, David, the great warrior, but in that moment, or that he was in a pit of despair. And so I read that verse several times as I read, as Diane and I read your book together. Let me just jump in before Andrew answers and say that that is really what has touched people the most. I think that has been most helpful is just the transparency. Uh, because at the end of the day, everybody goes through difficulties. We're all weak. We all have struggles. And so that's what people can relate to. And this is something that uh, when I was, I was very broken, you know, I, I said to God, if I ever have a chance to, to share what I've gone through, then I will be honest. I pledge that I will be very open with my weaknesses and my brokenness. Uh, I, a number of times I told Noreen, God chose the wrong man for this assignment. I just can't do it. I can't do it. He made a mistake. <laughs> and, uh, but I came over time to, to change that and said, no, I think maybe God chose the right man because he wanted a weak man who, in spite of his weaknesses, would persevere and in that way be an encouragement to other weak people. 
And uh, one of the things that as I went into prison, <clears throat> one of the reasons that I broke so badly was because of my expectations that were not met. And I'd read biographies of people who are, they're still my heroes, my, my spiritual heroes. And uh, I did not expect that when I went into this, this experience where I felt the abandonment of God, the silence of God, uh, I thought somehow that in prison I would, because I was suffering for Jesus, especially so that I would feel a real sense of grace, just palpable sense of grace, uh, that I would feel strength, even though I'd be sad to be separated from my family, I would still have a, a sense of joy, and especially that I would have a sense of God's presence. And uh, my, my spiritual heroes, that's how I saw them suffering. And then when I didn't have the same experience, I thought, what is wrong with me? You know, everyone else did so well in these circumstances. What's wrong with me? And I've come to learn since then that actually many people who go through uh, imprisonment or through persecution have a similar experience to mine where they, they struggle. 735 days. That's a long time. Can I say something, Jay? It's a long time. If I had known that it would be two years, it would have been hard, but I would have counted the days down. But I did not know that I would get out. And until the day that we actually left Turkey, which was a very sudden release, we did not know what would happen. And this is the issue that many people have in their difficulties is, we don't know it, when it's gonna end, how it's gonna end, even if it's gonna end. And that's where we're really challenged. Are we gonna be faithful? Uh, one of the big difficulties is not having clarity about the future. And are we going to be faithful uh, even in that darkness? Wow. 1993 is when you moved to Turkey. You're American citizens, right? <clears throat> and uh, man, you could do any kind of ministry there is in the world as you try to answer the Lord's call in your life. What led you to Turkey? What was the burden or the call? So Turkey is the largest unevangelized country in the world. And so it's a very good place to go if you want to reach Muslims. There is, wow. To be honest, we didn't want to go to Turkey. We, we were headed somewhere else and our church asked us to go there. And uh, so we went in submission to that. And I remember uh, when we, we flew off from Atlanta the first time we went to Turkey and Noreen was crying on the, at the airport and on the plane. <laughs> oh no, my life is over. Uh, so we didn't go with high expectations, but the Lord, uh, over the first few years, he put into our heart, the way we think of it is, he put into our heart part, some of his love for Turkey. And it wasn't just that we were enamored of the food or the culture, although there are good things in that, but it was, uh, we became determined, I would say committed, to seeing God's blessing come to that country. And that's how that love was expressed, was just a determination to, to stay there, to, to see a move of God come. A certainty that we were supposed to be there. That was a huge grace in the ups and downs. We'd come back to, well, we're supposed to be here. We're supposed to be here. So that was really helpful to not have that question mark. 
and talk about a ministry. I mean, not only were you building a church, but you helped start many, many churches. And then you worked with the Kurds. And then you had the Syrian refugee crisis, and y'all were involved in, in ministering to them and helping them. So it's amazing. Uh, you go as a missionary, if you will, to a, uh, or a church planner, I guess is the best phrase, uh, to minister there and to, to build relationships. And the next thing you know, you're a sending organization and you're on the front lines helping very desperate people. So let me say that everything in Turkey is small and fragile. So everything that we did, we don't want to act like, oh, there's this huge ministry, especially uh -huh. by American standards, but that what we can say is there was never a dull day. Uh, they weren't all good days, but they were never dull. And yes, we, we did, uh, God, God did, did bless our ministry there. We were involved in several church plants and, uh, one of the things that drew the attention more of the authorities, they always knew what we were doing because we did things openly. Uh, but when we started ministering to the Syrian refugees, what we saw was here's a country that was, that was closed off where you couldn't really have a witness. <clears throat> and now millions of them have flooded into a country where we can reach them. We thought we need to take advantage of this opportunity, not only to show them the mercy, compassion, love of Jesus through uh, through aid, uh, especially in the border regions where a lot of them had just flooded across, but also to give them the gospel. And we did see a number of them become believers and go back into Syria, which was our hope that they'd go back there and be the foundation or the, the seed of new churches. And this is one of the things, because many of them happen to be Kurds, that uh, probably drew more negative attention to us and when we started with them, we knew that there was a risk uh, for that. But we thought we, you know, something that happened, Jay, we, we did some training for, for leaders, church leaders coming over from, from Syria and Iraq. Uh, and uh, they came over, some of them came through a minefield to get to us. Some of them were beaten at the border, thrown back. They crawled through drainage ditches to come back to us and they, to receive some training. And what really, that really astounded me just to see their hunger. But then even more so that they went back to those areas that were so dangerous. Mm -hmm. So they'd already come into Turkey. They're, they're, it was safer. They went back to their ministries. And I thought, you know, this is just the hunger and the willingness to serve. But how can we not take the, take the risks of, of just providing teaching for them? You know, uh, not to get... Uh ahead of the story, but I must say one of the most moving things for me was when you finally, after several years, got a chance to speak for yourself and try to plead and defend yourself, you had a very succinct statement, and it, it was powerful. And you talked about your love for Turkey. You know, here's who I am, here's what I'm doing, and I love Turkey. Can you share that story? Well, we had a, uh, throughout my, my trial, we knew that it was a kangaroo court. It was clear that my defense was not going to make any difference to the outcome. <laughs> uh, but I thought this is an opportunity to stand for Jesus Christ, 
and give an example, give a witness. How does a, how does a follower of Jesus deal with this kind of circumstance where there are all kinds of false accusations? And I determined that I would, uh, that I went in with that mentality, very intentionally trying to say, how should I react as a representative of Jesus? And so part of that was forgiving those who had falsely accused me. And uh, also identifying with Jesus saying, I, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed to suffer for him. One of the things that surprised people in Turkey is that after all that we went through, our, the last thing we said as we, we were released and we're leaving Turkey, we're, we were able to record, we love Turkey. And I think many people were surprised by that. Uh, they didn't expect that at all. But we were, we do, we do love Turkey in spite of all we went through. And we would say we have no regrets of having gone there. We, we see how God used this. Uh, but yeah, that's what we wanted to communicate. There's forgiveness. We wanted to communicate this, the beauty of Jesus, that he's the only savior. And also to say that we love them. Now you were accused of terrorism. Pretty serious accusation. Of course, there were thousands of people probably being accused of, you know, under all kinds of false uh, pretenses and false charges, uh, several sweeps where they would get up anyone they thought might be opposition. But you had that charge of terrorism, and here you are trying to use the gospel of peace. And then I love the story where you, and by the way, your life was threatened and you went through some real difficulties even before you went into prison. And I love the Rambo priest uh, uh, story. So uh, uh, I want you to know, listeners, you're getting to meet Rambo right here from Turkey, <laughs> Rambo priest. Share that story. Right? Yeah, so I had, uh, there was a, a gunman who came to, uh, to attack our church and shot at me and, uh, at first I was frozen, but then finally I thought that the man had a shotgun and I thought if he goes into our church with a shotgun, there could be very bad results. And so I, I went over and I wrapped my arms around him from behind in a bear hug and tried to hold on until we got help and the police arrived. And so uh, when I was in prison and uh, the context here is President Trump had asked for my release three times in a summit with uh, President Erdogan. And we're waiting to see what's gonna happen because right after he asked for my release, the media in Turkey were saying, you know, we have this short summit with, with uh, the American president. Why is he spending his time asking for this priest, this Brunson? Uh, who is he? What's going on? It just exploded in the media in Turkey. And we're waiting to see, are they going to respond favorably or not? And within a day, the response came. There was just an avalanche of propaganda in, in the media. And the Turkish government had decided to to, uh, well, they said that I was a spy, that I was, uh, uh, they said all, the head of the CIA <laughs> in the Middle East, and that I was involved in terrorism and all kinds of things and helping to plan a, an attempted coup in Turkey. And uh, some of them got a hold of this whole story. And they say the reason he was able to, to overcome that gunman and hold him was because of all of his special forces training. And so there were headlines you know, the agent priest, and as I said, my favorite was Rambo priest. So this will be the, the front page of a newspaper, Rambo priest, you know. <laughs> Man, a claim, that's how we ought, to, we ought to share with churches 
have Brother Andrew come and call him the Rambo priest. So anyway, well, you know, in the midst of all the highs and all the lows, uh, Pastor, you wrote that your wife was your lifeline. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. Um, so I was pretty isolated in prison. During my whole time in prison, there was only one uh, Christian that I had any contact with, and that was Noreen. She was the only person who was really allowed to visit me on scheduled visits. And she had the, the, the weight, the burden of coming into this, you know, she would walk into this high security, actually I was in a maximum security prison for part of the time, and she goes through two iris scans, all kinds of checks, you know, for security, and walking into this very intimidating place. And she would come in, before she got there, she would, in her mind, she would say, I am a, a daughter of the king, and I'm coming to visit a son of the king. And she would deliberately lift her head up high and walk in to that dark place and intimidating place with that mentality. And she would come in. She was the only encouragement that I had. And she would come in and have that weight of trying to get me through to the next time we could have a visit. And she was the person who could speak truth to me. She was, in a sense, my pastor because... I was very confused. I was with Muslims all the time and very strong Muslims. And I didn't have anyone to ask my questions to. I, I had a lot of doubts and questions. So she had not only to encourage me, but sometimes to correct me. Say, Andrew, that is just a not, not a right way of thinking and to try to speak truth to me. So I think of Noreen as obviously she, well, she, she spent 13 days uh, locked up with me at the beginning. So she had a taste of what it feels like. And when she was released on the 13th day, they kept me for another two years, but people we, we love and respect told her, Noreen, you need to go back to the States. You need to come back. Don't put yourself at risk. But she knew how much I was struggling. And mm. because of her love for me, she stayed at personal risk. They could have arrested her. They, they could have put her in prison, but yep. she stayed. So I think of her as, as a lioness. Yeah. Well, man, that sounds like another book. The <laughs> lioness. Uh, what, a, what a great love story. What a great love story about you and Jesus, you and the people of Turkey, the people you ministered to, you tried to reach, you still care about and pray for. Now, you've been home about a year and a half, and we're going to talk a little bit about the release before we go, the miracle of that and some events that happened. But I wanted in this year and a half that you've been home, and I know it probably, you came home to the COVID virus and a lot of wonderful things, didn't you? I mean, you know, uh, so it's been uh, very unusual. But in this year and a half that you've been back, as you look back over it, what would be one or two of the things that you feel like beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is what God showed me and what I need to know going forward. So I had focused on, on running after God's presence for years. And what really, my, my biggest struggle, uh, a torment for my soul in prison was that I felt uh, that that was removed. So I had no sense of God's presence. Uh, I, it was as though I was experiencing the silence of God 
for two years at the most difficult time of my life. And I thought, what, what has happened to my intimacy with God? And I realized when I came out, that was very hurtful. I had a lot of offense in my heart toward God that I had to overcome. I felt abandoned. And after I came out, the Lord began to show me what he was doing. One of the things he was doing in my heart is that before my, my love was sincere and true for him. There's no question. It was sincere and true. But then it went through a severe test. And I came out of it still loving him. In fact, it was, and it became a proven love. When I did not feel his love for me, when I felt abandoned, I still loved him. And I doubled down and I ran after him and it determined I am going to turn to you and keep my eyes on you and I'm not letting go. And so what, what I came out with was actually, even though I did not feel intimate, for two years, I came out with a stronger intimacy, a different intimacy. But it was because my love and my faithfulness were tested and they were proven true. And I think of it as people in the military who trained for years, but there's a difference between someone who's only been through training and someone who's actually been in a battle. Hmm. And the difference is confidence, I think. And so I would say now I... I have a different confidence in my, in my walk with God because my love and faithfulness were tested and proven. Wow. And another thing that I, that I think that God was doing, one of the tests for me, uh, God doesn't cause our, all our difficulties, but he will certainly use them. And uh, he was teaching me to stand in the dark. Hmm. Uh, one of my theme verse became Isaiah 50, 10 which God says to Israel, for the one who walks in darkness and has no light, let him trust in the name of his God and lean on him. And the point is, God could have given light, but he left people in darkness for a time. And he said, in that darkness, lean into me. And this is what I was really having to, to, to force myself to do where I didn't have the emotions or the feeling of God's presence, and I had no other Christians around to encourage me, was say, in this time of darkness where I have doubts and questions, I'm going to lean into God. And as I did that, then I was able to begin to cooperate with the grace that I didn't feel, but that was there. And that's how God took me from brokenness. He took me through a rebuilding process so that I was very weak and broken, but I came out much stronger. Noreen, what would you say? Because when we're talking about what all Andrew was going through, you're going through, and, and, and there's no way to describe uh, the aloneness and what all you were feeling and responsibility to be strong for him. But what would you say would be one or two of the great lessons that the Lord showed you in those two plus years? Yeah, just uh, the confirming that we we don't dare do things on our own strength. We can't. There's too much we don't know we can't do. And just confirming the need to really press into him and lean into him daily. Um, I think there's that's the biggest thing. Wow. Well, 
what an amazing story. I'm so grateful you shared it. But we must take a few moments. And how in the world did the Lord stop up the mouths of the lions and uh, deliver you in one piece? Uh, I'm grateful for the way you shared it. Uh, I got to see from a, a distance uh, a lot of people were deeply burdened about you. And to see the vice president be so passionate, to see uh, two different secretary of states be so passionate. And, you know, there's a lot of folks that go, well, you know, I don't know what Donald Trump, what's his motive? I'm going to tell you, he was resolute and full of compassion and determined uh, that you would be able to come home. And uh, I want to thank you for the way you unpacked and kind of told the story of different times and different roles that led to the United States government standing with one of our prized possessions, our citizens, and, uh, and a man of God. And, I, you know, you made an impression. And then, of course, uh, I know after you left the White House, I know the impression you made uh, just by, your, by what you shared and your spirit. So it, to me, it's one of the great, great stories to watch this president that so many evangelicals have prayed for and supported and uh, leaned into, uh, to watch him uh, time after time when he sensed this was something important, he did it. And uh, then it became personal. And when things become personal for, for the president, things can happen. So uh, can you share a couple of those highlights or insights? So there were, there were a lot of people praying for us. And so uh, God used this prayer to really move our government. And, and he put me on the heart of the president in an unusual way. And uh, maybe people uh, don't realize this, but presidents just don't get involved in negotiating for individual release of someone overseas. They, they assign it to someone. Uh, but President Trump uh, was in an extraordinary way involved in, in trying to get my release and a number of phone calls and the summits that they had and then in directing uh, people in his administration to, to shape policy toward Turkey even uh, to pressure for my release. And so just the, to think that he would go so far as to apply sanctions on a NATO ally. I mean, I, I think that was just shocking. Uh, it was shocking so much so that all the investors, foreign investors started to flee from Turkey. So uh, I, I'm so grateful for what he did. And the, the level of engagement and the number of times was just unprecedented. It was extraordinary. And I'm so grateful uh, mm. for all that he did. And yes, I, my, my impression uh, is that he has a big heart. Just in, in, and he was really doing this, as you said, he had a personal commitment to this. Well, I can tell you, I had the privilege of being in the White House uh, with a listening session with about several hundred pastors in a conference room at the White House when the vice president sticks his head in and says, do you mind if I interrupt? And of course, everybody was thrilled, you know, to hear from the vice president because uh, what a great man of God he is. And, you know, he's the vice president and so critical to our country. But 
He says, I've heard you and I know that you have prayed for a friend of mine and uh, I want him to, to thank you. And you came around the curtain. And uh, so I was there that day okay. uh, up behind the pulpit, you know, the pulpit, but I'm just speechless. And to watch these pastors of all denominations, you know, they wept, they rejoiced, they clapped, they cheered. Uh, you had your family with you. Uh, but I'll never forget that day. It was just a chance, uh, you know, one of those chance things for us, but to be able to welcome you home uh, on that day. And then, of course, uh, uh, we got to be together at the uh, Capitol for the National Day of Prayer, be on the program together, and, uh, and to hear the two of you share. So I just feel like, man, God has... Uh, uh, said to many of us, we need to wrap our arms around this amazing couple and let's get behind them as they rebuild their lives, their family, their home, all those kind of things, but also financially and a way to support a ministry. And the thing I love about this couple is right now they're trying to get a clear word from God and they're working on what countries the Lord would have them go to. But as somebody who's out there, I run a nonprofit. I know what it's like. Uh, a lot of people pray for, pray for folks, but we're not there when they really could use some help to get the rock up the hill. And uh, I want us to be involved. And I went by us, I'm talking about the family of God, men and women, businessmen, uh, churches, uh, Christian schools, leaders, uh, I want I want you to be able, and I'm going to make sure that on this podcast, you know how to get in touch with this amazing couple, maybe invite them for a Zoom call, invite them to a conference. But most of all, I'm praying the Lord will really lay it on the hearts of some churches to say, you know, our mission organization wants to do something with this amazing, faithful uh, couple. Thank you so much, Jay. That's deeply moving. Well, we, uh, we're so grateful for you. You got to tell the story of the chair as we go. <laughs> you have a story that is, I mean, I don't know anyone else that, can, that has a story like this. So I was in a high security prison. I was uh, in a cell built for eight people. There were over 20 of us there. They were, all my cellmates were very committed Muslims. And uh, there was a small TV there. And I remember uh, when President Erdogan went to Washington in May of 2017 to have a summit with President Trump. And they showed it live on TV when they, they showed them sitting in the Oval Office. And President Erdogan was sitting in a yellow chair across from President Trump. And, and I saw him sit there and President no, asked for my release three times uh, during that meeting, and President Erdogan basically hardened his heart and did not release me. And I saw him sitting in that chair in my cell as my president asked for, for my release. And uh, then I was convicted of supporting terror, sentenced to prison, and suddenly released uh, 17 months later, <laughs> 17 months later after that uh, he sat in that chair and uh, just whisked away to, to the state. So we went from being convicted and sentenced to, to the White House 
in, in a day, basically. So it's like a Joseph story from the dungeon to Pharaoh's. Uh, uh, yeah. And so uh, I walked into the Oval Office and President Trump motioned for me to sit in the same chair that President Erdogan had sat. And I thought, what a reversal, a visual here of that same chair where he re Erdogan rejected uh, you know, his request. And now God had released me and I was sitting in that same chair. So I, yeah. God loves irony. He loves irony. It's very ironic. No, no question. Well, one man, one mission, one incredible legacy of faith. This is a must read. God's hostage, the story of this amazing couple, the Brunsons. Uh, Andrew, I admire you. I admire uh, so much about it. And by the way, my brother, uh, I grew up on the streets. Uh, I was involved with a lot of stuff. I know toughness. And for a man to be tough enough and strong enough to talk about how weak he became in that moment shows me that's one tough, strong guy who can come out and set, tell that story for the glory of God and then talk about how the Lord began to fill that cup, fill that gap, and, and this amazing miracle happened. So uh, my brother, I'm grateful for you, and my sister, I'm grateful for you both and your three children, and I can't wait to see what we'll get to do together in the future. God bless. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. And thank you for listening to There's Always a Way with Dr. Jay Strack. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend by taking a screenshot and posting it to your story or tagging us on Instagram or Twitter at the letter J Strack 007. If you haven't yet, we'd love for you to rate and review the podcast. Because of you, others are able to be encouraged and equipped by these incredible episodes.